Welcome to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. For free rankings, player values, waiver wire tips, and trade advice, follow him online at dynastyfreaks.com or email dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. Hello and greetings from Austin, Texas. Welcome all of you Dynasty Freaks. Admit it, you are addicted to Dynasty. I am too. My name is Justin Christopher and I am a Dynasty Freak, which means I love drafting and trading and scouting and managing all of my teams 365 days a year. So do you. So let's talk some Dynasty on episode number 163 as we recap week number 11 in the NFL, getting close to playoff time. Uh, Week 11 in the NFL surprised us again with several upsets, several uh, back and forth battles, uh, game-winning fantasy performances by some players and game-losing fantasy performances by some players. Uh, the afternoon games disappointed me pretty bad, but the nine games at noon were pretty fun to watch from a dynasty perspective. Then Sunday night came, where fantasy games were won and lost in the back-and-forth battle between the Steelers and the Chargers. Uh, man, it was it was not fun to play against Justin Herbert or Austin Eckler Sunday night, and I should know because I lost five games during that Sunday night battle, uh, while I did win three at the same time. Uh, after a season's best 8-2 and two week last week, my teams went down crashing this week and finished 3-7. and seven. It was a pretty brutal week, but I have to pause on weeks like this and remind myself that win or lose, it's a joy to watch football all weekend and cheer on all of my Dynasty teams. So after following all the games this week, I hear a few of my thoughts on the players and the situations and their impact to the Dynasty teams. Uh, again, follow our format, 10 different observations. We'll talk some waiver wire for this week so you can jump ahead of your league mates. And then there we'll talk about trades that actually took place in my leagues this week. There was actually only two. But let's start with the 10 observations. Observation one, I'll call it quarterback killers. <laughs> this week, several, you know, every week starting quarterbacks had pathetic outings and most of them brought the entire offensive production of their teams down with them. Dak Prescott scored four fantasy points, or in the league where I have him rostered, negative two because of interceptions. Four points. Russell Wilson scored 11. Patrick Mahomes, 10. Ryan Tannehill, 12. Joe Burrow, 10. So it was Mahomes and Burrow. They had lousy fantasy days while still at least leading their teams to touchdowns. Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, and Ryan Tannehill were just baffled by defenses, and they were unable to help their NFL teams or their dynasty teams. Some of the every week starters, you know, on these teams had modest fantasy days despite their team's bad quarterback play. Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Jamar Chase, Dalton Schultz, Tyler Lockett, they didn't kill their dynasty teams, but Joe Mixon was the only one player who exceeded fantasy expectations this week on a team with a bad quarterback. But the other players on these teams sunk their dynasty teams with poor performances like C.D. Lamb, Ezekiel Elliott, T. Higgins, D.K. Metcalf, A.J. Brown, who to his credit, did leave with an injury. So much of a week-to-week, you know, fantasy production comes through the quarterbacks. Naturally, that's the way football works. So it's really frustrating when we have a week when so many, you know, every week starter quarterbacks end up having bad weeks and bringing down the play of their others. That was the first thing that stood out to me. Second thing I'll say is uh, second-year breakouts. Uh, It's always fun to see a player that you've let develop on your bench, you know, have a game that moves them into that startable option for you. Uh, Darnell Mooney and Adam Trotman uh, did that this week. With Allen Robinson out, Mooney got 16 targets. 16. It's ridiculous. He only caught five of those passes, though, which is pretty pretty low hit right there. But five passes. But he turned those five into 121 yards and a touchdown. Uh, his target share has been increasing in recent weeks, 
And he now has, get this, he has 50% more targets than Allen Robinson does on this team. It's crazy. He's truly become the wide receiver one for the Bears. And then Adam Troutman, uh, he's seen his target share come up in recent weeks too. And he had his best game of the year with eight targets, five catches, 58 yards, and a touchdown. And dynasty managers who kept Troutman are really glad that they were patient with him. And those who picked him up off the waivers, like actually happened in one of my leagues this week, they feel pretty smart for doing so. I uh, think that this is really good good news for Troutman. Uh, Mooney's moved into the startable player every week, I believe. And Troutman, he's streamable tight end, you know, in the position that's kind of, you know, hit or miss altogether. But if he continues to get 6.5 targets per game like he's had over the last four weeks, uh, he's moving into that startable category. Mooney's definitely startable now. Troutman is on his way there. Well, those are second-year breakouts. My next point is second-year busts. I'm going to maintain my patience uh, with two second-year players, but I'm afraid to say that they appear to be busts. I had super high hopes for Jalen Rager. I thought that he would shine in his second season and prove that he was worthy of the first-round draft pick that he was by dynasty managers who spent what they spent on him two years ago. It looks like after his uh, touchdown and 14-point week number one, it was like, yes, this is going to happen. But since then, 14 points a week were number one. Since then, the 10 games following, he scored a total of 29 points. It's so hard for me to believe that this is who he is, but the evidence is mounting that he will just not be what I thought that he would be. I have to admit that I was wrong. Philadelphia is now committed to the running game, too, and Devonta Smith and Dallas Goddard demand the bulk of the limited targets that they have on this team because there's just not enough targets to spread around. Too bad for Rager. I also hope for a second-year breakout for Brian Edwards, which feels more like a first-year breakout since he missed all of last year with an injury. He had a few good games this season, but his target share is just too low to ever become what I hoped that he could be. Uh, in 11 games, he's had only 21 catches. It's ridiculous. Well, Hunter Renfro's had 56 catches, and Darren Waller, their number one targets, had 56 catch, or targets, uh, or catches, rather. 21 for Edwards, 56 for Renfro. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. Waller does make sense because he's a better player. But even with, with Henry Ruggs off the team, Edwards has not been able to man, demand more targets. I have slightly more hope for Edwards than Rager at this point, uh, just because of the offensive scheme that I think Oakland could change things. But, man, if Philadelphia continues to run this way, Rager's going to be bad. I'm not going to cut either of these guys, but I have a really hard time thinking there's ever going to be a time where they're inserted into my starting lineups. They literally have not been in my starting lineups. Uh, for their two-year careers. And I keep thinking that they might be, but it's starting to look pretty bad for those second-year players. Next observation, number four, is Seattle Slough. Yes, making a pun on the Seattle Slough horse. <laughs> Seattle is imploding. It's the worst the, often the team has looked under Coach Carroll and under Russell Wilson. The Seahawks traditionally won with great defense and a strong running game, while Russell Wilson was one of the most you know, fantasy-efficient point scores to keep teams and, and players alive from a fantasy perspective. But this season, they're 30th in total offense per game, 28th in passing yards per game, 23rd in rushing yards per game, 25th in points per game. Uh, the offense is just not working anymore in Seattle. Man, they're going to require a complete overhaul, I think. I think the battle, battle between Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll, it's drawn. And I believe one of the two will not be with the team next year. I think the dysfunction is going to start to settle in on the team over the next seven weeks as the season comes to a close, and it's going to cost teams with Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, and Russell Wilson on their rosters to stumble down the stretch, even as the Seahawks stumble down the stretch as well. 
Observation number five is I'll call it backup victories. Uh, two backup quarterbacks win the day, and they keep their teams atop their divisions. Colt McCoy, Hook'em Horns, threw for 328 yards and two touchdowns, uh, leading the team to a second win in a, you know in his three starts that he's had the last three three weeks. Uh, most of his production came kind of in the dink and duck passes. you got to be real about that. It was Rondell Moore who had 11 catches, and James Conner had five. Uh, he th- did throw a couple deep balls to A.J. Green, who made some plays. And then it was Zach Ertz who benefited the most with eight catches and 88 yards and two touchdowns. I'd like to talk just a bit about him. Ertz really looked like an excellent downfield you know, threat and the red zone threat like he used to be with in Philadelphia. He's proving that he's healthy, and he's much more capable of playing that way again like he used to in Philadelphia. But it's also possible, you got to temper that a bit, because it's also possible that his increased involvement is based largely just on some connection that he has with Colt McCoy for some reason over these last few weeks, and the definite absence of DeAndre Hopkins and now the absence of Chase Edmonds, both of whom were very targeted, obviously, in the passing game. For the time being, it's fair to say that he's revitalized his dynasty value, and it's going to increase if he does the same things with Kyler Murray when he returns. But if he does return and then the balls get spread around more, maybe less so. But for right now, you got to look like he's revised his, his you know value. And then there was Tyler Huntley. Uh, he didn't have a great fantasy day like Colt McCoy did, but he did lead his team to a game-winning drive in the last minute of the game. It was so fun. He did enough to make you know Mark Andrews productive, uh, you know, keeping his value up for this one week. And he threw a couple pretty passes downfield in the final drive to win the game. Uh, but really, on this game, it was like Ertz. It was Devonta Freeman who's come back from the dynasty dead. Uh, he's the clear leading running back for Baltimore right now. He's getting the most touches, 24 on Sunday. And he looks just far better than Latavius Murray just when you watch it on film. Uh, he's got the game-winning touchdown run. Yeah, it finished you know, with 17 fantasy points this week. Freeman's doing enough to get signed by another team uh, this offseason, I think. I think after J.G. Dobbins and Gus Edwards return you know, from injury, he's likely not to be with the Ravens. But if he keeps playing this well, he's going to give himself a chance to play uh, next year for some team. Next thing I'll mention is kind of a little bit of an NSL, NFL point, but uh, also a fantasy point. I'll call it winning streaks. Uh, several teams are getting hot at just the right team to right time to position themselves for the playoffs. The Patriots are the hottest team. They're on a five-game winning streak, and now they're atop of the AFC East, one game above Buffalo, who was upset by the Colts on Sunday. Sadly, the Patriots' winning streak has not resulted in a lot of fantasy goodness. Uh, Mac Jones just distributes the ball really evenly, and then the backfields become even more of a split backfield with the emergence of Ramondae Stevenson uh, to compete with Damian Harris. Uh, the Colts are on a three-game winning streak uh, and are in the wild card, wild card contention now after dismantling the Bills on Sunday. They're rightfully riding the back of Jonathan Taylor to all their wins during their winning streak. Uh, he scored five of his ten touchdowns on the season. Ten on the season, five this last week. It's really pretty ridiculous. Uh, this week, Michael Pittman on the Colts, he did have a bad week because the Colts just didn't need to pass in this game. But Pittman really has become an every-week starter during this win streak. And the Dynasty team's, you know, really producing. And then there's Kansas City Chiefs. They're on a four-game winning streak, and they've taken the lead in the AFC West back again. Patrick Mahomes may not be winning games for fantasy teams. He did last week, but with overall, most weeks he is not. He's not doing what he used to do. But at least he's helping keep Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. You know, they're meeting expectations during this winning streak. Um, I think the weak winning games are, are ahead for the Chiefs, uh, especially with Mahomes, Hill, and Kelsey. I think they are weak winning games that are ahead for them. 
um, even if they've just been decent over the last four weeks. Winning streaks on NFL teams often lead to winning streaks in dynasty teams too. I know I started one uh, my season one and four in my longest standing freak league, um, but after the six-game winning streak that I've been on right now, now I'm in position to be the top two seed and uh, have a bye week. So teams can go on winning streaks and really change things altogether. We've seen that in the NFL, and we've seen that likely in some of our dynasty leagues this week as well. Next observation I'll say is winning the job. Uh, various points this season, I thought that Jalen Hurts and Taylor uh, Heineke would lose their jobs uh, this season and almost certainly be replaced next season, but I'm beginning to change my mind a little bit on both of them. The Eagles have changed their offense, and Hurts is now winning NFL games and not just fantasy games like he was doing before. The Eagles really look more like a college team than a traditional NFL team, uh, but it's leading to wins. Uh, they're running the ball more than any team in the league right now when you include quarterback runs and scrambles. Hertz ran the ball 18 times on Sunday, and his running backs ran the ball 32 times. That's 50 rushing plays. Hertz only completed 13 of uh, 24 passes. That's just over 50%. But with the production, with that production running the ball, that's all he needs to do to win games for his NFL team and for our dynasty teams. It's definitely unconventional, but it's working. And he, you know, I didn't think though so earlier in the year, but now I'm starting to think he really could become the long-term starter for Philadelphia, and this kind of offense can make it in the NFL. Then there's uh, Taylor Heineke. Uh, he uh, had the best game of his young career on Sunday and was the most productive fantasy day that he's had. Uh, he did throw for three touchdowns, even though it wasn't the best game that he had fantasy-wise. It was the best game that he had on film. His quarterback ranking was uh, 141.3 because he just protected the ball. He targeted the best wide receiver, Terry McLaurin, seven times, and he led the team on five scoring drives in a very big road win in Carolina. Uh, two big wins in a row for Carolina. I mean, for uh, the, the the football team. Uh, last week, it was announced that Ryan Fitzpatrick was not going to return this season, meaning Heineke has seven more games to audition, seven more games to win the future role with his team. And with each win that he makes, uh, it's making it harder and harder for the football team to be in a position to draft a quarterback. And so I've changed my tune on him too, and I think that he could become the future starter uh, for his team in the, in the future. Next thing I'll say is a rising rookie, uh, Elijah Moore. Man, he's been on fire the last four weeks, and he's making his claim to be the second best wide receiver in this rookie class. Jamar Chase is rightfully the number one ranked rookie wide receiver in this class. And then Devontae Smith, I think that he's done enough to claim the number two position right now. And then there's Jalen Waddell, Justin Bateman, um, and, they, I don't think, and uh, Rondell Moore. They've produced well. And they're fighting for the number three wide receiver spot, but they've really not done enough to make me think that they could jump Smith in my rankings. Elijah Moore, on the other hand, he has every chance to do so. He had his best fantasy game of the season on Sunday with 25 fantasy points. He's averaged six catches and 84 yards and one touchdown per game over the last four weeks. And he's doing that with backup quarterbacks. I think three different quarterbacks, in fact, during that time. If he keeps up this pace, he'll undoubtedly jump ahead of Devonta Smith in my wide receiver rankings and become the second best rookie in this class. But he'd have to do a lot, a lot more than that to jump Chase, who already is my number one ranked dynasty wide receiver overall. He'd have to do a lot to jump that. But fun to have a great class of rookie wide receivers coming in. Elijah Moore has now entered the stage with a chance to become number two. Next thing I'll say is a welcome back and not so welcome back. 
Uh, one of the highly drafted running backs, uh, one highly drafted running back was welcomed back quickly while another found himself in the doghouse. I'm talking about Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Uh, he was supposed to be on a pitch count on his first game back, but he outtouched Darrell Williams 14-8, to and more importantly, he got the ball when he was in the game. When he touched the ball, uh, he or he touched the ball on 14 of his 31 snaps, so 44% of the time when he's in there, he touched the ball, while Williams touched the ball only eight of his 36 snaps, which is only 22%. Much to my surprise, Edwards Alaire was a critical part of the game plan, and I assume that he's going to be going forward. Uh, then there's Miles Sanders, who looked like he was about to get a heavy workload until he fumbled and then was benched until Jordan Howard got injured late in the third quarter. Howard protected the ball and played better than Sanders. There's no doubt about it. And Howard's injury may be the only hope right now for Sanders managers who desperately want to see Sanders get more touches, especially since Philadelphia has changed to a run-first offense. Sanders managers hope Howard's injury lingers uh, they can, so they can finally see what Sanders could do in this run-first offense. But if he fumbles again, which has been a problem for him in the past, uh, they may never get to see his potential in this offense. So frustrating. Uh, two more things here. Uh, I'd say, a, oh, this is the last one here. Muddy wild card race. Muddy wild card race. Often my last observation that I make uh, is more of an NFL observation rather than a dynasty observation. And this week I noticed how uh, the upsets that took place this week and then the winning streaks of a few teams have really started to muddy the water in the wild card race. And if you know, you know, there's seven teams that are making the playoffs this year. Uh, compared to six in previous years in the NFL, and very few teams have been eliminated, and some teams are playing themselves into the conversation now. Teams like the Colts and the Dolphins, they're on three-game winning streaks. They put themselves in the conversation. There are seven teams with five or six wins in the AFC wildcard race. Seven teams with five or six wins. The Eagles and the NFC, then you have the Eagles, the football team, the 49ers, and the Vikings. They're all on two-game winning streaks, and they've also put themselves in the wildcard mix. An eight or nine team, uh, nine win team, uh, really could make the playoffs in the very top heavy NFC. So an eight or nine team, nine win team could actually make the playoffs. But what's true about our NFL teams uh, can also be true of our dynasty leagues. There are very few leagues where the cream of the crop, you know, is is on top in my leagues. Many of my leagues going to this week are very muddy in the playoff picture, just like they are in the NFL. For instance, in one league, there are six teams tied at the top at six and four records. Going in and going into this week, in another in another league, there were four six and four teams tied for second place, uh, just one game behind the seven and three leader. In one league that I'm in, there are three eight and two teams, so three really good teams at the top. While the next best records are two teams at five and five and three teams at four and six, and six of these teams got to make the playoffs. So there are going to be some bad teams that make the playoffs record wise. In one other league that I'm in, my biggest money league. Uh, there's an eight and two team on top, and then there's four seven and three teams, including myself, that are amidst in the midst of that. I think dynasty standings are muddy, just like the NFL standings are muddy. And all you need to do is earn the final wild card spot to win it all. So it's going to be a fun race to the finish these next three weeks. Hoping you, like I hope for myself, can win that sixth spot if one of those teams is battling in the middle. Let's talk a little bit of waiver wire this week. As a reminder, I do play in 27 to 30-man rosters, so the players that I list here are for deep leagues only. If you play in a shallower league, then certainly there are better players than this, but if you're in a true dynasty league, here's the players I'd recommend picking up this week. Truthfully, I don't like the options this week very much, uh, but here are a few thoughts on a few players available in most of my leagues that you might consider. Uh, first is Nick Westbrook-Kina. Uh, 
Uh, he's rotating the rotating door uh, of which Titans receiver gets the most looks uh, while Julio Jones is out on IR has been difficult to find. Every week, it's been a different one, literally every single week. I said the same thing last week about Marcus Johnson, who was on the waiver wire last week, but this week he got injured really early in the game, and it was Westbrook Aquina who made the most of it. I know that we all have to make waiver wire decisions without knowing the health reports um, beforehand, but if A.J. Brown and Marcus Johnson uh, continue to be injured and knowing that they're actually both hurt, I think that I'd be willing to consider adding Westbrook Aquina this week. Uh, that said, next week it's likely going to be Chester Rogers that I'll be writing about as the one who went off to be the wide receiver two in Tennessee. Who knows? This is quite a mess, but he's the first player that I'd recommend this week. Second would be Cadre Allison. Uh, just when we thought Wayne Gallman could get more looks than Mike Davis, that's what I recommended last week, now all of a sudden Allison was the surprise player on Thursday night. The Falcons cut Allison earlier this season. I honestly had no idea that they added him back to the team until I saw it on Thursday night. Uh, he was back, and he carried the ball nine times, and he had two catches. I have no idea what to make this backfield, but Allison could be worth an add uh, just to see what happens if you're in super deep leagues. I loved his college tape, and I really held him on several rosters the last few years, hoping that he would get his opportunity to, to you know, beat out Mike Davis this year. But when the Atlanta Falcons cut him, uh, that's when I cut him too, and he was off of all my rosters. So now I guess he's someone I'd consider adding back since they've added him back. Then Marquise Goodwin, uh, Goodwin, Hook'em Horns, uh, was a wide receiver two in Chicago on Sunday and was a second wide receiver in snaps behind Darnell Mooney. Uh, he made the most of his chances with four catches for 104 yards and a touchdown. Uh, his increased playtime was based mainly on Allen Robinson missing the game with an injury, so you got to you got to be honest about that. Um, he might only be helpful, you know, while Robinson is out. But given the bad news that the you know bad news that the Bears are bad news Bears, that's funny. <laughs> given the bad news of how bad the Bears are playing and the already contentious relationship that Robinson has with the team, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Robinson play the injury card as somewhat of a hold in type of protest here to end the season. And if that's the case, uh, Goodwin could really play an interesting role in the offense at the end of the season. So he's someone I definitely would consider this week. Last guy's a little bit more of a stab, but I'd say Joseph uh, Josiah uh, DeGuaria. DeGuaria was drafted by the Packers as the third in the third round two years ago, so they have invested in him. Uh, he played almost 50% of the snaps on Sunday and had his first touchdown catch of his career uh, from Aaron Rodgers. Uh, he played more snaps than Mercedes Lewis for the first time since Robert Tanyan was lost uh, for the season with his torn ACL. So I, I'd only want to add Duara in deep tight end premium leagues, um, but I'm in a couple of those leagues, and so he's the type of person that I would add in a league like that. Maybe you are as well. Consider Duara. Finally, let's wrap up today just by talking about uh, Week 11 trades. There are only two trades that took in my place, place in my leagues. As always, I say that trades are pretty hard to you know, evaluate in a vacuum if you see them on Twitter or see them posted somewhere. Kind of hard to know because you don't know the roster construction of the teams, you don't know the rules, you don't know what the players are thinking, but I like to talk about real trades that were made in my leagues just so you get an idea of what the construction of the teams were and what they might be thinking when they made the trades. So there were just two this week, and one was made by me. This first one was made by me. It was T. Higgins for DeAndre Hopkins. So I actually made this trade for T. Higgins in a league where I'm a contender and the defending champion. Uh, Hopkins is one of my all-time favorite dynasty players. He is. I actually, in this league, I traded Mark Ingram for Hopkins in this league seven years ago during his second season when he was just starting to break out. 
Uh, he's kept my kept me a contender every year since. So he's been on a roster for seven years. And while I love Hopkins, totally love him, I just thought that it was time, and it was right about the time to when I need to buy back some years by adding a younger player on my roster. Uh, Higgins been far less productive uh, than he was his rookie season. And now he's the wide receiver two on the Bengals since Jamar Chase has replaced him as the wide receiver one. But even so, I still believe in his talent. In long-term role on this really up-and-coming team with a second-year quarterback in Joe Burrow, I just like the future for Higgins. Right now I have Higgins ranked number 12 in my rookie, I'm mean, sorry, in my wide receiver rankings, and Hopkins ranked number 11. So I have them that close. I just thought it was time to buy back some years. It's definitely, definitely hard to trade Hopkins, I have to admit it. Uh, but since he's 29 years old, I was happy to trade back for Higgins, who's 22 years old. You have the hope that he's going to be the one in my starting lineup for the next seven years. Um, I don't think it's going to be Hopkins level, but I just wanted to get some of those years back uh, on this particular team that I had. You might disagree, but pretty risky trade, but I thought I wanted to buy some years back. Next trade that was made in my league, kind of a minor one here, was Will Fuller for Logan Thomas. Uh, this trade was made between two teams at the top of the standings. And the manager who traded away Thomas has Mark Andrews, you know, as his every week starter. And then the first place team that traded away Fuller is only weak at tight end position. It's his only weak position. He's been starting Tyler Conklin. And so I think he thought with Thomas coming back, he might be a better addition. So this kind of found, you know, they found like a little bit of win-win trade uh, to help each other. The first and second place team, I think uh, the team that, that acquired uh, Thomas maybe helps his immediate future. You know, depending on what happens here, if, if Thomas does come back, which is a report that came out today that said he's going to come back this week, and then the team that gave away Thomas but grabbed Fuller, I think he may have helped his team more in the long run, uh, depending on if Fuller can ever come back to himself. I think it's a pretty fair great, fair trade, uh, given their roster constructions and their goals, but I think I slightly favor the Thomas side of this trade, really just because his future is more certain. Uh, Thomas signed a three-year extension this season in contrast to Fuller's contract that expires at the end of this season. Uh, he's less attractive from an NFL and dynasty standpoint after really sitting out this entire season with injuries. I'm not sure what's going to happen to him on the free agent market this next year. Uh, his only hope is that if he can somehow return for Miami this season and make a splash so that other teams will want him next year. We don't know what team he's going to be on. Or at least Thomas, we know he's going to be the starting tight end for Washington. And hopefully this injury is not something that will recur uh, for him. It's going to take a while to see what happens here. But we will see between Logan Thomas and Wolf Fuller. Pretty even trade. I think I favor the Thomas side just a bit. But you guys know I'm a Thomas, Thomas truther. <laughs> He's on many of my teams. All right. That's a week 11 review. That's a wrap this week, my freaky friends. Thanks so much for listening. Make it a two-way conversation anytime by contacting me at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. That's dynastyfreaks with two E's at gmail.com. I'm much better on email than Twitter, so that's the best way to contact me. would love to talk with you. Like I say every week, I really would be honored if you take time to rate and review the podcast and Apple Podcasts. That would mean a lot to me. As an independent podcaster just doing this stuff by myself, I would appreciate it. Thanks for listening. I do appreciate your support. I do want to become your most trusted, independent voice in the Dynasty landscape. Until next time, you know what to do. Go out there and get freaky. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. We welcome your thoughts and advice. Let us know what you'd like to hear on the podcast or see on the website to help you dominate your league. Justin prides himself in responding to every email, so hit him up anytime at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com and follow him on Twitter at LonghornJustin. Justin.